Hello, everyone, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your co-host, Husser. And we are here today with Ignacio Moya. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Emily. Hi, Joseph. Um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, it, the pleasure is ours. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, but right, when, just to get started, can you introduce yourself and tell us about what you're researching for your PhD? Yes, so as you rightly pronounce the name very well, my name is Ignacio Moya. It's a Spanish name, by the way. And um, I am a PhD philosophy student. I'm entering my last uh, year, so I'm working exclusively on my dissertation at this point. And my work is uh, based on philosophical pessimism the value of existence and well to start I would just probably leave it at that the philosophical pessimism and whether uh, existence is preferable to non-existence yeah for sure so so philosophical pessimism what can you go into that a little bit more if existence is worth it living like I I've heard of the term like an existential crisis, but is that what you mean by that or is it something else. That's a very good term because uh, I think I, I, I live in. Uh, not to get too personal here, but I have to admit that I, I, I think I live in a quite often in the middle of existential crises and I think we've all we all go through them so. There definitely is a relation between like an existential crisis and pessimism, but uh, to to go directly to your to your question, which I think is so important because there is so pessimism as so often happens with uh, you know most I guess in every academic field and in philosophy in particular, just because philosophers are so very rightly so I think, but they're so very concerned with being as precise as possible in the use of their terms. Uh, the case of pessimism is one of those concepts that depending perhaps on who you ask or even the field you are uh, working on, it has different meanings. So uh, the, the best way to start is to draw a distinction between pessimism in the usual everyday meaning of the term and the philosophical term. Because although there, there is a relation between them, they are not they're not the same and they don't necessarily refer to the same uh, worries or preoccupations. So in everyday life, everybody, I think, knows what a pessimist is, right? Um, most of us, maybe we have a friend or maybe ourselves that are known for having a pessimistic or a pessimist attitude towards life. So for example, I don't know, you might invite your friend over for a party or you might invite your friend to you might say to him or her let's go to the beach for a day and your friend might say something like i i don't want to go uh, every time we go to the beach you know bad things happen uh it's gonna rain it's gonna be cold and every time i go i always lose something in the sand you know it's just not worth it so someone like that would say oh why are you so pessimistic right you're a pessimistic person so yes that's uh, being a pessimist in a common everyday usage of usage of the term but in philosophy pessimism does not refer to a psychological attitude so pessimism is not about personal temperaments it's not about a individual attitude that i have towards events what pessimism is in philosophical terms it is a tradition or a system of thought 
that holds that life in general, all of existence is always, and here it depends on which philosopher you ask, but uh, always necessarily a bad experience in the sense that it is always filled with suffering. So happiness, to put it in other terms, happiness or true happiness is never really possible in life. Um, what really life is about is suffering and toil and hardships. Uh, so that's what pessimism is in philosophical terms. So you could be, <clears throat> sorry, I guess you could be a pessimist in a psychological sense and also a pessimist in a philosophical sense. But you don't have to necessarily be both, right? You, you, I can hold, for example, that right. you know, life is a horrible place, right? But be a fairly, you know, normal, not a pessimist person in, in my life. So if you invite me to the beach, I can say, sure, let's go. Why not? We have a good time, right? I'll go. So I'm not a pessimistic in that sense, but I'm certainly a pessimistic in the philosophical sense. Right. That's really interesting, Ignacio. Um, I guess I'm thinking about philosophical pessimists with respect to procreation, thinking that, uh, you know, procreation isn't the preferable thing to do. In fact, not procreating is the preference. Um, do these philosophical pessimists value life intrinsically as well? I mean, I understand a calculation where you might say the suffering just completely outweighs happiness or pleasure. And therefore, it's preferable not to procreate or bring someone into existence. So what about the intrinsic value of life? Someone might say, fine, the skills might be favorable towards suffering, but there is some, some tremendous value to life itself, making it still worthwhile, independent of that calculation. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I think my thoughts here tend to align with the pessimists on this. So when, I'm going to say what the pessimists would say, and at least in, not completely, but largely my personal views tend to align with this. So uh, first, your, your very uh, appropriate reference to uh, antinatalism, right? So antinatalism is, is the idea that life is so bad that it's better to not bring other people into existence, right? So it's the view that we should not procreate because every time you procreate, you just bring a person or a being into this world that is bound to suffer and where the pains are going to always outweigh the goods. Now, antinatalism goes back to the ancient Greeks. Already they had uh, philosophers and, and uh, mythologies that would tell the story or, or try to uh, promote this idea that uh, existence isn't pref uh, is not preferable to, to non-existence. So there's a famous, um, one of the more known myths is the myth of King Midas, who's known for several reasons, but one of the stories of King Midas, so we're already talking, I don't know the exact dates, but we're talking 2,500 years ago. So this is long before any pessimist philosopher and long before any contemporary antinatalism, right? So Silenus is uh, a satire and he ran into King Midas and King Midas asked Silenus because he was also known for, he had a great wealth of wisdom. And he asked, he asked Silenus what he thought was the greatest thing that any human being could ever wish for. And Silenus at first didn't want to answer that. He said, no, don't, don't force me to give you the answer. 
Uh, King Midas uh, insisted, he said, tell me, what is it? What is the best thing that any human could hope for? And then in the end, Salinas said, well, you're forcing me to tell you something you're not going to like, but since you're insisting so much, I'm going to give you the answer. The best thing that any human could ever wish for is to not have been born. And once you are born, the second best thing any human could wish for is to have an early death. So that's pretty, that's a pretty uh, depressing account of existence, right? Mm -hmm. So I give this example because this goes back again to a long history in human thought, this idea of whether bringing other people into existence is worth it or not. So if we fast forward uh, to the 19th century, and we fast forward even today to the 21st century where antinatalism has is uh, enjoying, I say in on quotation marks, enjoying, yeah. but having, that's a better word, having a sort of revival, antinatalism. Yes, yeah, so there's this big current that, that, that would say that existence is always, uh, if, if we were to compare happiness and sadness and pains and pleasures in life in general, uh, the pains, and the sadness and the suffering would always outweigh the goodness. Now, and this is the case even if, and this is particularly for the uh, for the pessimists, right? This is the case even if our own particular lives, perhaps we would say, I don't know, I could ask myself, I could ask uh, you, Emily, or I could ask Joseph or anybody, how would you evaluate your lives, right? Do you think your lives have been so far overall good? Have you had better experiences than terrible experiences? I don't know, maybe we would say yes, but beyond our particular circumstances or our particular histories, pessimism uh, casts a judgment over existence as a whole. So it doesn't matter if my life has been good, life in general is always more filled with pain and suffering. And interesting in this, for the 19th century, Arthur Schopenhauer, uh, I haven't mentioned him, but it's impossible not to mention him when speaking of uh, philosophical pessimism, Arthur Schopenhauer was a 19th century German philosopher who wrote uh, The World as Will and Representation. And in that book, he gave us, he gave the entire world the first systematic pessimistic philosophy, developed in a systematic manner with a whole comprehensive view of, of existence. And in his view, he asked us to consider when, when, when we say that existence is always suffering and pain, we're not talking, we tend to do this, right? But we're not talking just about human existence. And this is important. We're talking about all of existence. So animals, this is very important because he says, wherever you look in nature, right? Animals need to feed and kill other animals to survive and animals die of disease. And you know, how many babies are born and how many actually survive. So if you start to take into account all of existence, humans and animals, and even the way um, we treat animals today beyond nature itself in you know factory farming and the way we use animals and so on if you start to consider all the suffering that you that we that exists out there in the world a person would say well if you want to put them on a on a on a, on a balance right on a scale then um at least for the pessimist it's pretty clear and for the anti-natalist as well it's pretty clear that pain is always going to outweigh uh, happiness, even if my life is good. I'll say, yeah, my life is good. It's, you know, I'm happy. But overall, considering, again, animals and every human being, um, it's better to not exist. So I don't know if I sort of answered your question or not, Yusuf, but um, yes, I think uh, the, the idea here is that beyond our personal experiences, at least for pessimists, it's taking into 
all of existence into account. Yeah, wow, that brings to mind a lot of questions, but I'll, I'll go with probably the most burning one because I'm, I'm in biology, that's what I do. And uh, like you were saying about the animals, like everybody out there is just striving to exist and they're striving to procreate. Like that's what, what animals and plants and everything around us is trying to do. So what, what would you say about that? Like how, like our whole earth has kind of evolved to want to produce bits. How does that weigh into the point that it, is it all just worthless? Like what are we supposed to do? We have this drive to do it but is it gonna be worth it? What would you say to that? So that's a very good point, uh, Emily, very good. So Schopenhauer would have a lot to say on this. And um, so to answer your, uh, to start by the end of your question, is it worthless? So for pessimists, the answer would be yes, ultimately this is all worthless. And um, that's just the way it is. Now, why is it worthless? Or how do we account for every being trying to live and strive for things like you mentioned and procreate and so on? This is precisely what Schopenhauer identified as the main or as the only reason why existence is always going to be essentially about suffering. So what Schopenhauer did, and this is part of his you know, most original contributions to philosophy in general and to pessimism in particular, he identified a, and I'll say it in quotation marks because it's not very precise, but it'll serve our purposes just to get a, you know, sort of a, an idea of what he's aiming at. He described a fundamental force in all of existence that he called the will and and to be precise he called it the will to live so he says everything that exists in the universe and not just organic living beings either he he thinks even rocks or you know everything has a will to live in a different uh, different degrees but this will to live is what is at essence is the essence of everything that exists and what this will wants or what it does is simply to perpetuate its constant willing wanting things for eternity with no ending purpose and for no particular reason so this is why schopenhauer says yes it is all uh, pointless in the end there's just a con constant wanting and wanting and wanting and this will to live that we have means among other things that we want to procre procreate that we want to live, that we think, pessimists would say wrongly, but that we think that life is good, that it's valuable, that it should be protected, uh, that, that we should therefore you know, continue to live for as long as we can. So this will to life is present in everything. And it's the driving force behind everything that exists. And that's precisely why uh, we see what happens, right? And when I say this, this is precisely why we see humans procreating and animals procreating and doing everything we can to avoid death and to continue to live. Uh, it's just what we are. Everything that is, is just will. At the deepest foundations, everything that exists is just will, will to live. Now, ultimately, uh, depending on which pessimist philosopher you speak to or which one you read, because there are several, uh, they each have like different answers sort of answers as to how to deal with this so again to go back to schopenhauer for example he interesting because he says if you if we really want to uh, end suffering and there's an interesting connection here with buddhism for example because um buddhists buddhists also hold that life is always filled with suffering and in their philosophy in the buddhist philosophy there's uh, ways to deal with suffering uh things that we can do 
to lessen the suffering, but because existence is already in itself always suffering. So the Buddhists hold this, right? And there's ways to deal with it. And Schopenhauer is in, from a different perspective, he's kind of saying the same. Existence is always suffering, but there's ways to deal with it. And one of the ways to deal with it is to adopt the ascetic life form. And that means simply renouncing all our desires and wants. You can think of like a monk that goes away and just, you know, wants nothing, desires, uh, you know, does, a, does away with all his desires, his or her wishes or wants. That's one way to deal with it. But if we don't, then we'll, you'll continue to have wants and desires and that's just hanging ahead. Yeah, relating to that question, I want to bring in a slightly darker theme. I want every the, our audience members to know that I'll be asking a question about taking one's life. Um, so my question is, you as you mentioned, people have the will to live long lives. Um, would a philosophical pessimist think that something like suicide is a rational thing to do given that non-existence is better than existence. Why should a philosophical pessimist want to sustain that or, or continue to live and, and not go in the path of taking one's life to do the good thing almost? Thoughts on that? Yes, so this is a very good question because, right, uh, you would think, especially after reading any pessimistic philosopher, right, and this is something many people at one point thought or challenged Schopenhauer on, well, if life is so terrible and filled in pain, filled with pain, then why not suicide? But surprisingly, perhaps, there are no pessimist philosophers that favor suicide, none of them. Um, not even the contemporary anti-natalists. So none of them favor it. And there's different reasons for opposing suicide. Uh, so I guess uh, to, to go back to Schopenhauer again, though he's not, he's not the only one that talks about these uh, topics, but just because he's one of the most important foremost pessimists. To go back to him, uh, to the question of suicide, for example, he, he he's very, very clear on saying it's a mistake. So it's a philosophical mistake. So it's not something anybody should ever do, or it's not an action that's recommended. It's not a way to actually deal with suffering. So he has several arguments for this, and, and you know, because I guess we have time restraints and so on, we, we can't get into too much detail because these are very elaborated arguments and uh, they, they touch on various topics. But simply put, uh, suicide is a mistake. So although um, although Schopenhauer thinks that life is always filled with pain, suicide is no way out. And ultimately the person that commits suicide is always doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, and, and, and like I just said, the reasons are so many, we can't get into detail, but perhaps I can just briefly mention one, that because as I said, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, for Schopenhauer, everything that exists in the world is will to live. We're all one thing. At bottom level, we're all one thing, we're the same. Schopenhauer's metaphysics means, if we take him seriously, that there is no essential fundamental difference between objects in the world, in the universe. So there's no fundamental difference, for example, between Amelie and myself, Joseph and myself, and even between the chair I'm sitting on and myself. There are differences, of course, but these are differences at a level of appearances, not at the level of any fundamental truth. 
So Schopenhauer thinks that once we recognize this, it, he argues, and this is something we can, you know, it's up for everyone to decide, but he argues that it follows quite seamlessly from this that compassion is always an essential attitude that we should have towards all living beings. We should be compassionate about the suffering of everyone because another being suffering is in a way also my suffering. So because of this compassion, Schopenhauer says, um, suicide is therefore something that we, we don't want people to suffer more than we already suffer for the mere, because of the mere fact that we are existing. So suicide, all it would do, would say Schopenhauer, is, again, I'm not going to go into the philosophical reasons why it's a mistake, because he's very clear in saying it's a philosophical mistake. But beside that, there are ethical, emotional, compassionate reasons involved uh, related to, to his reasons for not supporting suicide. So, um, right, so there's no case in that. And even, um, so contemporary antinatalist, there's a South African uh, contemporary philosopher, his name is David uh, Benatar. Uh, uh, there are several things I don't necessarily agree with him on. He has a, a very uh, interesting book, I think it was written in 2006, and it's called Better to Not Have Been, right? Where he presents his arguments why it's better to not exist. And although there are several issues I don't agree with, he, he has a pretty interesting example where he says, because someone could also tell him, right? If, if life is so bad, then why not just end it? And he says, well, just because life is bad, it, it doesn't follow from that claim that because I'm already here, I should therefore end it, right? Because um, it's better to, again, avoid the suffering of others and avoid creating more suffering. Um, and suicide, all it does is just would just would create more pain for everyone, for everyone around. So we're here already, and the only thing, the only thing we can do is just not bring anybody else. But once we're here, you're here, I'm here. Well, let's deal with it. Let's do the best we can and go on with our lives. It seems almost like that is a little bit hopeful. If you could say that. Um... It, it might circle back there. Like if everyone's being like, if, if the idea that you get down to is, okay, we're all suffering, we're all here, let's be compassionate to each other. Does that kind of turn things around or does it always kind of end back at, no, it's meaningless. It, I, it, I sounds like, like <laughs> it sounds like optimistic pessimism. I know. And I'm realizing <laughs> as you're speaking, I'm like, oh, I am not a pessimist. <laughs> I feel like I am optimist. So is, is there any optimism to be found or does it all just circle back to no? Well, again, I think it depends on the pessimist philosopher, because although I've been relying heavily on Schopenhauer, there are other uh, philosophers that have different versions of pessimism and slightly different reasons for saying that the existence is, is terrible so, or, or not so terrible. So in regards to your question, Amelie, about uh, whether we can find some hope or some sort of optimism within this pessimism, again, it depends which uh, pessimist philosopher you ask. but. Um, just because I'm sticking with Schopenhauer, uh, to go to to mention again Schopenhauer, I think his answer would be, well, it's not really correct to, uh, it wouldn't be right to say there's optimism as much as to say there's hope for redemption in the sense that um, there's something you can do to avoid your suffering. And again, this is the idea of the ascetic lifestyle, right? So sure, someone could say, well, okay, that gives me some hope. Yes, in a sense, that's an answer, right? That there's a way to end the suffering. Um, right, so all the pessimist philosophers have their, have, have their different answers. So Ignacio, um, 
So I'll push you a little bit as maybe, let's, let me just coin a term, philosophical optimist. Uh, yeah, please. <laughs> uh, um, like, I would think, so if, hypothetically, if there was a zombie apocalypse um, and the suffering, I mean, things are pretty scary. I would think for the short term, at least, you know, maybe it's more responsible not to procreate. Uh, uh, medical supplies are quite low, it's quite dangerous. You don't want babies to cry and everyone dies and so on and so forth. Um, but I, I, I do wonder, well, what happens if the zombie apocalypse becomes long-term and somehow just like long COVID or whatever, like we, we're supposed to live with <laughs> zombies in some weird way. I, I think I would be inclined to think, you know what, come to have uh, babies as carefully as you can and somehow manage it and take the risk because it's so worth it uh, to have, to bring people into existence. Um, instead of the humanity ceases to exist because, you know, we don't procreate at all for a generation. What are your thoughts about at least this psychological attitude? Is it just based on no rational basis? Your thoughts? Right, so I think my thoughts again would line with uh, most of what the pessimists would say on this. And possibly what they would say is, well, um, right, so for example, Yusuf, you're already, uh, I was gonna say you're kind of implicitly assuming, but you're not, you're not implicitly assuming because you said it quite explicitly, right? Uh, life is worthwhile, so it might be good to bring them. So a pessimist would say, well, hold on. Well, that, that's that's precisely the premise here that's into question, right? This is what we have to ask ourselves. Is it really worthwhile and why? So suppose that in this zombie apocalypse or another sort of scenario, you're, you're going to bring in a human, uh, another being that is going to have, I don't know, it's going to be when he's seven or eight is going to be eaten by zombies and that's the end of it. So someone would ask you, okay, that was worth it. I mean, what's so worthwhile about that existence, right? So a pessimist would say, You're, you just brought someone in here to perpetuate suffering. And uh, so, right, the whole premise is sort of questionable for, for, for a pessimist. So they would say happily, a pessimist would be quite, quite happy with the idea that all of humanity goes extinct someday. Um, of course, they would be happy with that idea. So yeah, that's what, um, that's what a, uh, pessimist would say. Thank you. I guess uh, the optimist uh, thing, I, I know we're almost, I think we're almost out of, out of time, but just the, like, uh, a good way to understand this is that um, Schopenhauer was writing uh, in the shadow of another famous philosopher, which uh, Leibniz, uh, he's very known for several contributions in other areas of philosophy, but um, one of the areas that his contribution was the greatest was in the field of precisely of, uh, he's the optimist philosopher, right? Precisely on certain questions of um, existence. So, for example, he famously claimed that this was the best possible world of all worlds that could exist. Because uh, Leibniz was very concerned. See, optimists and pessimists both agree that there is suffering in the world, right? I mean, everybody agrees on this. You just have to look at the wars, famines, and again, beyond even humans, right? You can look into animals. No one denies that. Not pessimists, not optimists, right? So babies are born and they have cancer and they die and so on. The question is uh, the differences in their answers. So Leibniz was the optimist said, well, yes, you know, these terrible things happen. A baby's born and they have cancer or they're born in the middle of a war and, uh, you know, a bomb and what was, what was the point of their life? 
The optimist says, well, we don't know what the point of their life was. But you know who does? God. God has a plan for everything. Everything in the end is going to work out just fine. Even if you don't know it's going to work out fine, it will. If we add up all the bad in the good that will ever exist in an almost infinite time frame, says Leibniz, God knows that in that, within that scenario, the good is always going to be better than more than the bad. So even if you suffer and even if you die, you know, in, in a bigger time frame, uh, good is going to come out of this. So that's the difference with the pessimist. The pessimist says, hold on, <laughs> really? You're going to tell, I don't know, the baby or the animal or whatnot that, yeah, you know, your suffering is explained for reasons you don't have access to now, but in God's mind, there's a reason. The pessimist says, no, there isn't actually. It's just life is made that way. So that's a, a difference. Good bedtime story. <laughs> good bedtime story, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe maybe not the best bedtime story, but definitely an excellent podcast. So thank you very much for being here, Ignacio. It was great to hear your thoughts. Uh, this has all been really interesting. Uh, thank you, Emily and Joseph. And sorry if I, 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 I start talking about these things and I tend I could go on for long forever. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it, it is great. It has been wonderful to have you. Uh, so this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson, and my co-host was Yusuf, and we've been speaking with Ignacio Moya. And this episode was produced by me, Emily Hutchinson. If you would like to be involved with the show or get into contact with us, you can email us at gradcast at sogs.ca, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at GradCast Radio. And to listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 on Tuesday and Thursday. You can also hear uh, all of our episodes wherever you find your lovely podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy as much as you're able the rest of your day. <laughs> <laughs>